You will find this morning's reading on page 1147, 1147 in the Church Bibles. This is uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians. It's his first letter. And we're looking at chapter 6, the entirety of chapter 6. And 1147. Paul is somewhat incredulous as he's writing to the Corinthian church. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. 
Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And so we pray, our Heavenly Father, that as we come to your word this morning, it would indeed be that for us. Please, Father, help us to receive your word for what it is, for what it says. And by your Spirit, help us to be doers of it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, while our world debates what's right and wrong, I think there's still one thing that it agrees is clearly wrong. Whilst our culture might not use the language of sin, I think there's still one act that it'd be happy calling a sin. And whilst our modern age prides itself on being the age of tolerance, there is still one behavior we don't tolerate. It is hypocrisy. Saying one thing and doing another. Believing one thing and acting in a different way. Think of the Hollywood film star who talks about green issues and the need to cut carbon footprints only to take private jets to film premieres. Or those of us who are those who tell us to keep the rules only to be found breaking them themselves. But let's bring it closer to home. Let's think about the many church leaders, sadly, who have preached on things like purity, only to be discovered having a string of extramarital affairs. See, whoever we are, whether we're Christian this morning or not, we all agree that hypocrisy is not right. Our actions should match what we say we believe. Yet we know from our own experience, it's not that straightforward, is it? It can take a long time for our beliefs to trickle down into our actions. We find it so much easier talking about things, much harder to do them. And that's where we find the Corinthian church this morning. See, this morning, Paul puts his finger on two areas in church life where what they do does not match up with what they say they believe. And as we look at these two areas, 
I think it's going to be helpful for us to, to encourage us to, to examine whether what we do matches up with what we believe. Uh, we're going to, in our points this morning, focus on those two points. Uh, I wonder, Andy, if we can pop those up. Uh, we're going to think about how we treat everybody, um, and we're going to look at lawsuits. Then we're going to look at how we treat our body, or your body, uh, and then finally, we're going to see why it all matters. So just to warn you, if we feel a bit beaten up in the first two points, stay with us, because the third point will show us why it is all worth it. First of all, then, how you treat everybody. We've seen, haven't we, through this letter, that Paul is responding to a number of reports he's got back from the church. And in chapter 6, he turns to another report he's heard. It comes up in verse 1. Uh, look at what he says. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Uh, the judgment he's speaking about there is the judgment found in local courts. Um, one member of this church is suing another. See, Corinth was a city that loved litigation. They thought, where there's blame, there's a claim. If you were wronged, the place you would go and get even was in the courts. And this was a particularly useful mechanism for anyone who was kind of powerful or influential. They would have access to the best lawyers, the best arguments. They would even be able to sway the judgments. I mean, completely different to our day, of course. Joke. So what's happening here in the church is that one person is taking another to court, and that really isn't unusual given the culture around them. We're not quite sure what the precise issue is. It may be a business deal that's gone wrong. Maybe someone feels a bit cheated out of some money. Or it may just be that someone's reputation in the church has been called into question. And no one in the Corinthian culture would have thought anything strange by this person taking another one to court. But that, of course, is the big problem. Because the church is meant to be different. The church has different beliefs to the world around it, and so their actions are not matching up with what they say they believe. And in this section, Paul shows them why they should act very differently. Uh, in verses 2 to 6, uh, first of all, he, he points forward to who they're going to be. Verse 2, he says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Now, I know you're going to ask me in Q&A uh, what this means. Um, to be honest, I don't really know. <laughs> and uh, There's um, a little bit of evidence in the Old Testament. Ask me about that afterwards. But the point is, actually... Christians are going to have some role in running the operation in the new creation. And if they're going to do that, why can they not resolve this little petty squabble within the church? Imagine the prime minister getting up one morning, um, the day before he's made decisions on the war in Ukraine, the, uh, he's made a decision with a, a, a committee on um, the economy, 
Uh, and he gets up one morning and he starts breaking out in a sweat. And uh, his wife says to him, what's wrong? And he says, I can't decide what color socks I'm going to wear this morning. <laughs> It'd be ridiculous. You can't make the big calls on all the kind of geopolitical events and then not make a decision on the color of your socks. And Paul's point here is that look at what you're going to be. You're going to rule the kingdom, and yet you can't resolve these issues internally. Secondly, he gets them to focus not just on the future, but who they follow now. Verse 70, he says, the very fact you have lawsuits among you means that you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? See, yes, um, there might be a way of taking someone to court and kind of resolving that in church, but, but the very fact you've got to do that means that you've kind of failed already. And here, there's echoes, isn't there, of the Lord Jesus. He was wronged, clearly, and yet he didn't find a court case. Jesus was cheated by one of his best friends, and he endured it. And it seems so ridiculous that Jesus can do that for us, and yet we're having a petty squabble here in the church. There is another course of action, Paul says, to protect your reputation. Why not not protect it? Just let it go. And third and finally, he gets them to look to the future, to who they follow, but also who they are. In verse 9, he draws a thick dividing line between who they are and who the culture is around them. He says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that word there in verse 9 for wicked, it's the same word that comes up uh, for ungodly in verse 1. And so Paul's still speaking about the courts here, and he's saying, look, you're taking a church dispute to people who have a completely different worldview to yours. You're trying to resolve a church matter using the people outside, and look at their sort of uh, and to be reminded of that, look at how they live. Now, I just want to take a little kind of side road here um, on this uh, couple of verses. So um, if you get a bit lost, don't worry, I'll pull you back in in a moment. But it is worth just taking a little side road here because verses 9 to 10 are verses that attract a lot of attention. Um, someone asked last week to Woody, uh, what's the meaning of sexual immorality? And the word used for sexual immorality is one word in the Greek, it's the word porneia, and um, you can impress people with that tomorrow in the office, porneia, a bit of Greek. Um, it's our, the where our word pornography comes from, and it describes sexual activity that is outside of marriage. Now, that can be heterosexual activity. You'll see that Paul lists adulterers there, uh, someone who's engaging with sexual activity with someone who's not their husband or wife, but it can be homosexual activity as well. And I've got to say the words, normally the NIV is pretty good on this, but the words in this version of the NIV are pretty unhelpful. 
uh, and lots of modern translations, uh, newer ones than this, you can check, and you'll see that they've updated uh, to a, a, what I think is a more consistent translation. Um, we're going to get very technical here. Paul uses two words uh, for uh, the homosexual uh, acts he talks about here. And each of those words describes the passive and active participant in a sexual activity of the same sex. So together, they describe homosexual sex. The reason I go into that detail is because there are people in the church, even our own denomination, who will say that the Bible's not clear in this area, that you can't possibly know what Paul meant by these words. But actually, uh, you can do a study of these things. You can look into them, and you'll see that Paul knew full well uh, what he was saying. See, you're very hard pushed not to understand that the Bible does teach clearly from cover to cover that the appropriate place for sex is in a faithful marriage of a man and woman. And it's interesting, isn't it, how much when Paul speaks about this subject, he says those words, do not be deceived, perhaps because he thinks we might. But let's come back off the side road. So if you're on the main carriageway, come back with us now. Because the point here is not to go down that side road of sexual morality. We can uh, ask questions about it afterwards. But, but it's really about this court case that's going on. See, the whole point is to say that there's a big divided line between you guys and the world outside. It doesn't mean we don't mix. Of course, he said that last week. But it, it does mean that to take church business and air it in the secular courts just doesn't make sense. So look to the future. You're going to be judges of the world. Look to your Savior. Well, he endured and he didn't fight back. And look to the world you're in. It's very different. Now, I was thinking to myself, how does this apply to us? Now, I've got to say, in my limited pastoral ministry, I've never had two Christians taken each other to court, but, you know, give us time. Uh, but um, I guess that's not going to be a temptation for us. But I guess there are other ways, other avenues we have of getting even with everyone else. Whilst our culture perhaps doesn't really do courts, it does do trial by social media, or it does do council culture. When someone wrongs us, on, it's very easy to take to social media and to humiliate them, to pull apart their reputation, to, to go beyond the argument they're making, to, to, to say that actually this person's completely wrong and should be cancelled. And I've got to say, sadly, that it's not that Christians are markedly different in that arena. So easy, isn't it, for us to have our reputation damaged, for someone to make a, a silly argument, and for us to leap in with the tweets and the posts showing how they look stupid or inconsistent. Maybe we don't even know what Twitter is, and that's okay. But we do have our ways of getting back at someone who's wronged at us, perhaps a, a bit of gossip, perhaps a, a whisper in someone's ear, do you not know the way they acted, or have you not heard, let me tell you. But Christians, Paul says, are to live a fundamentally different way. 
because the future is one in which we are going to be part of. We've got a Savior who endured far more than we would ever imagine and yet didn't fight back. And we are meant to be distinct from the world around us. Just imagine, for example, if all the Christians in the world tomorrow decided to use social media in this way, what, what impact that would have? Or if church was known for not ripping each other apart, but for building one another up, it would be remarkable, wouldn't it? But the second area Paul uh, goes for here is not any more comfortable, I, I'll warn you, uh, but it is uh, a, a slightly different subject, because just as lawsuits were part of everyday life, so was the topic of this next section. Now, it might surprise some of us, but sex was not invented in the 1960s. But it was part of everyday life in the ancient world. Uh, we've somehow got this crazy narrative that the, we've suddenly become liberated, and you know, ever since the Victorians backwards, everyone was really kind of restrained. That wasn't the case at all. In the ancient world, Sex was just a part of everyday life, and, and Corinth no less. See, Corinth was a port city where sailors would stop over with their money, and you can just imagine how that was used. And we see in verses 15 to 16 that that culture had kind of seeped into the church so that those in the church are sleeping with prostitutes. Now, you might think to yourself, that surely should have raised alarm bells. I mean, if anyone was doing that, that would be pretty scandalous. But actually, the church thought little of it. Uh, why did they? Um, well, look at what they say in verse 13. They say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. Um, that little phrase, it, it's not Paul's phrase, it's their phrase. And um, it's basically saying, look, the food, food is designed for the stomach. That's what food does. That's what it's there for. It's to be eaten. And, and so it is with sex. I've got a stomach because it needs to be filled with food. I've got a body and it's got urges, so it needs to be satisfied. And after all, God will destroy them both. God will destroy the stomach, the body, and it doesn't matter any more who I have sex with any more than what I eat on a Sunday lunchtime. See, for the Corinthians, sex was just like going to the restaurant. If you feel hungry, you go to Harvester or Nando's or whatever your restaurant of choice is. If you've got a sexual urge, well, you go to a brothel. And Paul says, no, that doesn't match what you believe. First of all, he says your body matters. Look at what he says about the body in verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and for the, uh, and the Lord for the body. See, the, the Corinthians, they, they kind of imagine the body as a kind, of, a kind of husk for the soul that kind of gets shelled off when we die. And so what we do with the body doesn't matter. But Paul says, no, look at the resurrection. The resurrection shows that God cares about bodies. He raised Jesus as a body. Jesus still is a body. And you can't therefore say that, well, what I do with my body doesn't matter because God thinks otherwise. 
But secondly, he says, Christ's body matters. Not just our body, but Christ's body matters. Look at what he says in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Now, Paul's analogy is so strong here, I kind of wince almost uh, describing it to us. But Paul's saying, because you're part of the body of Christ... To go and sleep with a prostitute is effectively dragging Christ himself there with the prostitute you're with. See, sex affects the whole person, Paul says. It's not just a bodily action. It it, it it has an effect on the whole person. Um, A preacher I know uh, had an illustration for this. He says it's a bit like having superglue on your fingers. As soon as you put superglue on your fingers, you'll know that within a couple of minutes, they are glued tight. And to separate them, well, it takes a lot of pain and a loss of a lot of skin. And there's something of that here, that it isn't just sex. Our bodies matter. God has made us a whole person. And it's why God has designed sex to be within the marriage relationship where people have publicly committed to sticking with one another through thick and thin. That's why Paul says in verse 18, don't go to prostitutes, flee from sexual immorality. It's possible that he's using that word that um, is used of Joseph when he gets uh, seduced by Potiphar's wife. You'll remember Joseph there, he, he legs it out of the building, he, he leaves his cloak behind. He doesn't stay there and think to himself, well, I wonder how far I can go with Potiphar's wife, or I wonder a quick fling won't hurt anything, just to kind of calm her down. But he ran. Now, how does this apply to us? Because, again, like the lawsuits, I guess not many of us think it's a good idea to use prostitutes, although it's not impossible. But actually, ancient prostitution, if you look at it, actually functioned in a similar way to pornography or casual sex in our culture. People thought, what does it matter? I've got an urge that needs to be satisfied. But if the resurrection is true, it does matter. Our bodies do matter. Where we have sex matters. It's never just casual either virtually or in person, it has that join-in effect. See, next time we find ourselves in that particular temptation, let's remind ourselves that Christ cares about our body, that we're joined to him. He's there in that moment. Now, chances are, I could tell by the sort of tone, that we're not kind of uplifted by this message, and that's okay, because I guess... I know I certainly felt this, that as I look at this, I feel a weight of conviction. All of us, whether we've treated others badly or our own body wrongly, will feel the weight of failure, and that is a right response. But it's not where we should stay, because in our third and final point, Paul shows them why this all matters. See, Paul never just says a do without a why, And look at where he finishes each section here. Look at verse 11. He says, They will not inherit the kingdom of God, and that is what some of you were. 
but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. See, people who have messed up sexually, thieves, addicts, drunkards, greedy, they are washed, they are sanctified through Jesus. And if you find any sort of weight of this, which I do, I think all of us will fit into one of those categories, let's be honest. Well, what a comfort to think that the early church was made up of people like that. If you're any of these things and you're in Christ, you belong in the church. They are the people that God sent His Son to die for, to wash, to sanctify, to justify. And look at verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You were bought with a price. God wanted to make his home with you, but to do that, he has sent the Lord Jesus. He is the one who didn't sin sexually. He is the one who treated women rightly. He used his body in a God-honoring uh, way. And yet, he was treated like he was guilty. But the reason he did that, the reason he endured the cross, took the nails in the arms, was forsaken by his Father, was to buy you back. You are bought with a price. You are washed, you are justified, you are sanctified. If any of us feel the weight of our failures, feel like God sees us as a, we've messed up in these areas, well, we need to remember that God doesn't see us that way. He doesn't see us and see all the people we've mistreated, all the websites we've been on, all the relationships we shouldn't have had. He looks at you and sees the perfection of his son. Jesus has died. Jesus has washed us. Jesus has sanctified us. He has justified us so that his spirit is now in us. You were bought with a price. Because Christ has given everything, because God has transformed us in the Lord Jesus, we see, don't we, that it's obvious that our actions should trickle out of our beliefs. And we see that, we've seen that in how we treat one another, love, not lawsuits. We've seen that in how we treat our bodies for the Lord, not our lusts. But we see that ultimately in how the Lord has treated us, washed, sanctified, justified. Thank you so much. There are so many questions, um, and we're going to do our best to get through some, but obviously we won't get through them all. Uh, just to say, after the service, as Woody mentioned, that Rob and he, but also I, will also be in the old church, um, and we're happy to answer any questions that have come up that we haven't managed to answer. But we will also be very happy just to pray with people. Maybe this has really challenged you. 
convicted you and you just want to talk to someone and pray. So please don't feel you've got to come to the old church just because you've got a question that you want answering. It may be that you want to just actually talk to someone and pray with someone. Um, Woody, you were going to put the questions up. We've got loads. Um, the first one we're going to uh, look at is some churches have historically said, Rob, I'm going to ask you this one, um, that rape and sexual abuse cases when the church family should not be reported to the police but dealt with in-house. Would this passage support that? No. Let me categorically say that. Thank you for the question. It's a serious issue. No. Um, I think theologically the justification for that is Romans 13, that God has ordained governments and uh, the, um, uh, the rule of law. So when there's criminal cases like that, absolutely the police should be informed. Uh, that is our practice. Um, if that is an effect in anyone, uh, the way of reporting that is through our safeguarding officers who then uh, liaise with the diocese who then go to the police. So I think theologically there's complete justification for that. What Paul's speaking about here is probably more trivial. It's a uh, civil case and it's more um, uh, to do with a dispute, probably financial, between two members of the congregation. So, no. Great. Um, secondly, when our denomination blesses inappropriate sexual behaviour and takes court action to remove churches that disagree, how should faithful congregations respond? Rob, I'm going to ask you that one as well. Thank you. Um, I think the when there um, may express a deep concern. That's not where we are or hope to be. Um, and uh, I think everything's been done to, to work through uh, a kind of way forward where we don't, you know, go down that sort of action. I think that's a good thing, and I think this passage shows us why, even those who disagree, it's a good thing not to go through the courts. Um, what should it do? Um, well, uh, I think this helps us by showing that actually we look forward, we look to new creation. Uh, we may lose out this in this world, but, but that's okay. Uh, it may be that we're wronged, um, but the Lord Jesus was wronged. And it may be uh, that um, things don't work out as we would want, but God uh, is in control. Um, so we're not there, and I, I pray and hope we're not, and I'm not sure we will be, but I think, um, yeah, how should we respond? Look to the Lord Jesus and his example, but also take every opportunity to show what the Bible says. Great, thank you. Um, Woody, this next one is for you, because uh, uh, it was from last week, but reconciling chapter 5, verse 11b, how do you reconcile that with Jesus eating with prostitutes and tax collectors and assuming that they are without, and Paul is referring to within the church, where and how do we draw the line? Yes, yeah, so flicking back, try and remember back to last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul challenges them not to associate with sexually immoral people, but clarifies when he says that he's not saying that those, are those, those people are those who wouldn't call themselves Christians uh, in the world, because as Paul clarifies, if that was the case, then we'd struggle to associate with anyone in the world. This is talking about those who would call themselves Christians or in an active part of their church. And so as Jesus lives and, and eats and meets with those um, who would be called sinners, he's not going against what Paul's saying here. Um, how do we draw the line? It, it can be quite hard. A church here, we don't have uh, formal membership where someone signs up 
But, but for anyone here who, who would call themselves a Christian, professing faith in Jesus Christ, and so would call St. Mary's their home church, and so by doing so is committed to this local church, wanting to serve and be involved and support and be a part of this church, then we would consider you a member, if you like, of this church. And therefore, uh, we would want to, as we've heard today, let what we believe shape how we live and act and interact with one another. And therefore, I think that would be, therefore, where Paul's words apply to us as a church family, as a body of believers. Great, thank you. Um, we've got time for one more. Um, okay, um, I'm a single man and do struggle with sexual temptation. I feel a hypocrite coming to church. My occasional sin is well hidden. That is the problem. I seem to get away with it. Um, yeah, I think, uh, thank you for being so honest. Mm. Um, that's probably a good first step. Um, I think meditate on what this passage says. Flee sexual immorality. Um, see why it matters. Uh, our culture says it's just sex or it's just virtual. It doesn't matter. But actually, I'm sure we all know when we've stuffed up in that area that it's more than just it does matter. It does affect us. So I think hear that warning, but also meditate on the fact that Jesus has washed you. It's not that you've got to kind of sort yourself out sexually and then Jesus will accept you. It's he has done that already. Let that trickle down uh, into uh, every area. So if you feel like a hypocrite coming to church, well, join the club. We all mess up sexually, uh, me included, and we all need to be honest as a church culture about that. And uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners church. Um, and one way to do that is perhaps not publicly, but, but perhaps with one or two others who you're close to, just share some of that. Um, and I'm sure they can encourage you uh, in that temptation as well. Great. But come and chat to me afterwards as well. Great. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. 